Hello and welcome to this Stock Talk podcast. It's brought to you by the Farm Advisory Service. It's produced by Kirsten Blackwood and I'm your host, Robert Ramsey. So I'm joined today by SEC nutritionist, Dr. Lorna McPherson. How are you today, Lorna? Yes, I'm very well. Thank you, Robert. Good. Excellent. What's keeping you busy at the moment? Oh, there's just a lot happening at the moment. Um, I think people are so concerned with feed prices, uh, the way uh, prices have gone, particularly for those that have come off winter contracts. So it's all about what can they do to reduce their input costs. So that's really the big talking point at the moment. And I suppose the interesting thing, you know, the dairy market has moved and that's probably quite exciting that for those that can control costs, there is an opportunity to make some money at the moment. You know, there's, the dairy market has had a positive change in the last wee while. I'd like to think so, because a lot of farmers are now just getting over 40 pence for their milk. And, you know, that's it's absolutely unheard of. But at the same time, we're hearing farmers having to pay maybe in the region of £100 a tonne more for their cake compared to the beginning of last winter. I mean, global wheat prices are at a record high. Everything and you know, in terms of feed costs are just absolutely soaring. Proteins are so expensive. Um, and actually, surprisingly, soy is probably actually the cheapest protein in terms of cost per percent protein. It's actually probably one of the best value proteins there is at the moment. But yeah, cereal prices are really high. We can't see them coming back really all that much for harvest. So barley's probably looking around about £320 a tonne delivered at the moment. We reckon it might come back to about 280 X farm at harvest time, but I don't think we're going to see a significant drop in feed prices going forward. Um, thinking about you know what other options are there for feed, um, maize is actually quite a good buy at the moment. It's probably coming in maybe fairly similarly priced to wheat, if not maybe slightly cheaper. And there are some companies that are taking wheat out of their formulations and replacing that with maize or a bit of a mix of barley and maize. So I know for some farmers that have um, maybe started to, to feed maize or seeing a wee bit of a yield response uh, to maize, which is great. And it's it's, it's probably a, a cost effective uh, addition into the ration if they're struggling to find uh, barley. And as I say, it's a good alternative to wheat. Yeah, there's, it's it's tricky. Some, some feeds are just maybe not that available at the moment. So sugar beet pulp as a good fibre source is not that available. It's maybe in the region of £350 to £370 a tonne delivered for full loads. Um, soy hulls, they're a good alternative fibre source, but they're still quite expensive. And they could be around about £30 a tonne cheaper than beet pulp. And perhaps a good option for those that have got cows at grass and are struggling to maintain butter fats. But I think really there there really is nothing cheap at the moment. And really, I suppose the important message is make sure that what you're buying and what you're feeding is targeted and appropriate to the forage that you're feeding. So making sure that you're doing regular forage analysis and what you're feeding is necessary and you can justify it. There's definitely going to be some tricky first cuts to ration with. You know, there's a, a lot of people have gone early nice big crops but being caught with the rain and, and you know there's some going to be some pretty pokey silages out there that are, are pretty wet do you think is the likes of beet pulp soya hulls and, and even straw supply of that we're, we're going to need fiber sources aren't we for trying to balance these rations we will need fiber sources and i think it's great that dairy farmers over the last few years have really focused so much more 
on the quality of the silage. There's more and more people going to a multi-cut system or at least just trying to maybe take an extra cut and look at cutting that wee bit early just to try and raise the protein and energy content of the silage because cutting date is the thing that has the biggest influence on, on forage quality. I'm not so concerned at this time of year of really wet cuts because hopefully there's opportunity with future cuts to to get that right, hit the weather right and get drier forage to mix in. Um, straw is an option to mix in with wet silage, but I suppose it is a, it's a last resort. But as I say, I think farmers really generally have focused on trying to make much better quality silage, which will help go some part of the way to mitigating these high feed costs that we're going to see in the winter time. I had a, a good conversation with a farmer at Scotgrass recently, and basically the, the what we were discussing was the value of first cut, and it used to be first cut was the absolute boiler room of the whole business. It was the most important thing, and it still is hugely important. But now in the multi-cut systems, you know, second and even third cut can be there can be a lot of milk, a lot of you know, there's a lot of value in these forages as well. So it's uh, important at the moment if you've you know you've had a challenging first cut there's certainly hope and you can be fairly sure going forward there is scope to make some quality stuff going forward there absolutely is even if first cut hasn't been timed right because of the weather it's not yet a disaster and at our own research farm at Crichton and Dumfries we've been doing a multi-cut system so five cuts of silage for the last five years now and second cuts are still typically averaging nearly 12 12 me 16% protein and some of our later cuts, even fourth and fifth cut, have been coming back about you know, 17, sometimes even 18% protein. So it's not always the right type of protein that we want to feed our really high yielding cows. We really need to try and balance that carefully with high um, you know, bypass protein sources as well. Um, but it certainly will help to, to reduce bought and purchase protein costs. Lorna, we've just finished IACs and spoken to an awful lot of farmers through here and it's been great to have them all back in but one thing that's quite clear is fertilizer strategies have changed and understandably they've changed um, given the, the price. There are a number of dairy farmers who have reduced or even eliminated fertilizer from their system. What what are the knock-on implications there? What's the concerns as a nutritionist from you know reducing or, or eliminating nitrogen from the uh, from the mix? Um, there's definitely going to be implications mainly for yield, um, but potentially they could also be an impact on the protein levels in the silage as well. And totally understand people have been wanting to cut back and um, hopefully farmers are have been able to make a lot more of muck and slurry this year. So very much appreciating the value of these uh, byproducts on farm. But yeah, I mean, we know nitrogen is going to drive yields. So let's say, for example, uh, we've cut back on nitrogen from, say, 120 to 100, 100 kilos of nitrogen per hectare. What that basically means is you might end up with around about 500 kilos of dry matter less per hectare. So the response to nitrogen is roughly a kilo of nitrogen will yield about 25, between 25 to 30 kilos of dry matter. So I think it is really important once you've done your first cut silage, just think about, right, how much have I got in the pit? Have I got what I expected? Is it less than last year? And think ahead to, you know, how many mouths have I got to feed this winter? Are my livestock numbers going to be changing much going forward into the winter? If my first cut is less, um, what does that mean for my future cuts? Is there an opportunity to maybe take more cereal as whole crop 
to make sure that I have got enough forage. And it's maybe just also thinking about um, application rates for future cuts um, of silage if you do think your first cut is that wee bit light. I think the other thing that's important to mention in fertilizer as well is sulfur. And I was speaking to a fertilizer rep at Scottgrass just yesterday, and he said sulfur is still not a common addition uh, in, in fertilizer applications. They reckon about 30% um, of farmers are putting sulfur uh, into their uh, fertilizer mixes, for certainly for first cut silage. And yeah, we would still say what goes on in terms of uh, sulfur from slurry and farmyard manure is not going to be sufficient to meet the requirements. And sulfur is certainly really important for nitrogen use efficiency. It'll also help increase protein levels in the grass, maybe on average by about 2%. And it'll also help sugar levels as well in the grass. And that's going to be important you know, to help with the fermentation. Um, so sulfur, a bit like nitrogen, needs to apl be applied little and often. Uh, and we can actually test the grass just once it's been cut and before it's wilted to test for total sulfur, just to make sure that we're not deficient and we're looking for sulfur levels in grass to be over 0.25%. So if it's something you're not sure about, it's something that can be easily tested just to see whether sulfur has been deficient. And if so, you can maybe get it on for, for future cuts and it might make a difference to your yield and protein. I think a thing as well, Lorna, that um, we need to watch. We don't get complacent with what the pit looks like this year because last year we had a, a good most folk, folk had a very good conditions for first cut and a lot of first cuts were far too dry so obviously the the yield in the pit wouldn't look great this year there's quite a lot of wetter material out there and the pit may appear to be full but the dry matter yield might be less than what the equivalent pit was last year so uh, certainly worth don't just eyeball it it's worth having a look at what the dry matter is and doing that calculation it is a fair point. So once you've got all your silage done, get your pits cored, know what the nutritional value is, know what the dry matter is, and then you can sit down with your nutritionist or your advisor and work out how many tons of dry matter you've got, work out how much you're going to need to feed all the different classes of stock on the farm. And, you know, I think we say this every year about the importance of forage budgeting, but I think, you know, I think that's going to be even more so important this year for people particularly that have cut back on fertilizer applications, but also just thinking about what the cost of feed's going to be like going forward for the winter as well. And if you can plan early and, you know, book your feed early as well, I think that's going to be really important just to know where you are. I, and if you think like an economist rather than like a farmer, we need to look at supply and demand. So we've got all summer we're trying to increase the supply of material or, 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 or maximise the supply of material for the winter. But we do have an option there. And while cull cows are still a, a huge trade, store cattle are still a good trade, eh, there's an option there to kind of meet in the middle. You know, we, we try and increase the supply of material, but also let's look at where the passengers, passengers are. Let's look at where the eh, where can we save feed through the winter as well. Because if it's going to be extortionate, let's take the hard-working animals through and, and run as, as efficient ahead as possible. Yeah, that's a really good point. Yep, cull prices are good. Um, I think it is a good opportunity to think about what animals are performing or, you know, as a case maybe are not performing well in the herd, whether it's repeat breeders or cows that are taking repeat cases of mastitis or any just, you know, high days in milk 
not producing the milk they should be. Um, with the way the feed costs are, we need to make sure that every animal is paying their way. So it maybe is a good opportunity to think about, you know, having a bit of a hard cull. And if there's a bit more space in the shed in the wintertime, then potentially the livestock you've got are actually going to perform that wee bit better. So Lorna, dairying, fertility drives everything and getting these high yielding cows back in calf, we know the importance of getting energy quality feed into them and you know, giving them the best chance to get back in calf. But once we get that lady back in calf, is there scope to alter the management a wee bit, maybe go back to feeding high yielders, low yielders, um, you know, treating them a bit different to try and reduce costs? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a really valid point. I think I'd always be very wary about trying to reduce concentrates or or take out, you know, protected fat supplements to our sort of a high yielding group, particularly the cows that you want to get back in calf. We have to look after them as best as we can and try and minimise body condition loss as much as possible in early lactation. But once cows are confirmed in calf, and they start to regain a wee bit of that body condition that they lost in early lactation, then there's definitely scope to maybe look at splitting the herd or maybe having a lower yielding group where we can save on some of the more expensive additives, things like your protected fats or your rumen buffers. So your mid to late lactation cows are maybe not getting quite as much concentrate um, not at risk uh, so much of acidosis. So maybe we, there is an opportunity to save on rumen buffers um, there. So... Yeah, I think we can certainly look at trying to cheapen our feed costs for our mid to late lactation cows, but we certainly want to make sure we look after our early lactation cows when we're still trying to get them back in calf. And depending on the farm and the the grazing field setup, is there an option to put more cows out to grass once they have been confirmed in calf, Uh, challenge them to make more off grass with good rotational uh, grassland management practices and um, buffer feed accordingly but yeah there is certainly scope to try and cheapen feed costs with some lower yielding cows or later lactation cows just through um yeah looking at the feed costs uh, and looking at some of these expensive additives that we could take out and at the end of the day fresh grass is going to have a higher protein and energy content typically than even good quality silage so there's the option to try and reduce uh, a bit of protein concentrate there as well if we can get some of these cows out to out to fresh grass and not rely on them having silage right through the summer. Yeah, no, really good advice. And I think one point to make is before we start cutting any costs, we need to know what the costs are. We need to know what the cost of what your cost of production actually is, so that we then know what can we cut out the system. And indeed, what is you know we mentioned passengers as well. What what is a passenger? At what point is a is a cow being dried off or even culled? Um, and you know, I think now more than ever, it's a time to really work out, spend time, and work out what your what your cost of production is, so that we we can make sensible decisions off the back of it. There's maybe even options as well with young stock. So, um, if you've got surplus replacement heifers, is a an opportunity to maybe sell replacement heifers, or if you're um, selling beef cattle, um, selling them early, maybe not taking them right through to finish, and maybe saving a wee bit on feed costs that way. Uh, again, it's you know looking at the store market, and you know it's always difficult to predict what you're going to get for a finished animal in a few months' time. But there's maybe options there as well, particularly if you think forage stocks are going to be tight, that we can maybe save a wee bit on what we're feeding to young stock or beef cattle as well. Yeah, and when when the things is in as much turmoil as it is, it's not a time to do what you've always done. It's a time to do what the you know do the right thing rather than 
um, what you've always done. So Definitely. If you do what you've always done, you can't expect any different result. And I mean, that's the bit of our job, Lorna, I enjoy the most is, you know, dealing with those change type questions. What are we going to do next? What's How do we take this business forward? And, and certainly worth highlighting that we are there, Farm Advisory Service are there to support people at times like this. There's plenty options available and, and certainly we're there to discuss it. Lorna, always good to talk to you. So thank you very much for your time. Thank you very much, Robert. I enjoyed that. So we're now joined by Colin Mason, who many people will will have heard from before. Colin actually was one of the driving forces behind us getting involved in podcasting and and getting this uh, extension type podcast out there. So it's always really good to have Colin here just to give us a bit of an update as to what's happening uh, in the vet labs and and out there on farms as well. So uh, welcome, Colin. Hope you're well. Yeah, well, morning, everybody. What's um what's keeping you busy at the moment, Colin? Uh, well, it's it's been a it's been a busy spring as it always is, and we're just coming out of that. And was was thinking about some of the things that we're seeing at the moment that are relevant right now, um, and and perhaps some of the things that we've seen over the winter that might be worth thinking about later in the year. So, in terms of what's relevant right now, one just to be aware of, I think, would be. Um, young stock going out to grass uh, for perhaps the first time uh, and it's been a fairly early spring so a lot of young stock outside just now Uh, one of the things that we've seen a bit of this year and we tend to see every year in first season grazing dairy heifers would be sort of post turnout scours and there's a particular um, strain of coccidia to be aware of that can actually cause scour pretty quickly after they go out to grass um the life cycle only takes a couple of weeks uh so this imeria alabamensis is is something that can give you scour within two to three weeks of of animals going out so uh, just keep a lookout for that and if you're seeing calves go back um in terms of they start to lose condition a wee bit and um start to scour then you know give your vet a ring get some vet some samples and and let's get a look and check and see if it is coccidia um and that's something just to be be aware of right now um and colin is that coccidia is it, is it worse in the baby calf or it's obviously a first grazing season issue but if we're going to be grazing obviously feed costs rising if we're going to be grazing younger cattle this year is the risk of coccidia much greater in, in younger cattle uh, potentially yes because it'll come down to their immunity to it and the younger they are the the less likely they are to have immunity um so yeah you're right this year particularly worth mentioning because there's a lot of quite young heifers going out just because of the cost of feeding so the risk might be greater um and the other one to bear in mind as well particularly with young heifers going out is is that their rumen is fully adapted to a grass diet because it's quite a shock to their digestive tracts and their rumens if they go from let's say a, a silage ration or even a straw and concentrate ration inside to suddenly chucked out onto lush green grass and without any real transition because it's almost impossible to transition them that that actually can cause scour in itself uh and and we do see nutritional causes of post turnout scour as well so that one is particularly worth remembering in the the young the very young heifers that go outside for the first time and and do you think is there a is there a difference in the way 
so if, if we're, we're changing the system a wee bit, some will be changing the system a wee bit to try and get more grass into younger calves. Is the route to rearing those calves, is it still straw and a pellets? You know, is it still the same system and then a bit of a, a transition at a younger stage onto grass or is it a different system we should be running? Certainly post, post-weaning dairy calves, then straw and concentrate does work well. Um, when they're inside, uh, I think the question is if they're heading outside and, and the intention is just to graze them at some point over the summer, depending on grass availability and weather, um, is to try and transition them, if possible, onto a grass-bred diet. Um, think about the pastures that they might be going onto uh, and, and perhaps some slightly more mature grass, some slightly more stemmy grass for them to go out to straight away would be better than really lush stuff. Uh, just from a nutritional perspective, just to try and transition them as best you can. Also to continue to feed some concentrate when they're outside. Um, and of course, the other thing when you're choosing a pasture for them to go out to is is to think about what the parasite risk might be in terms of have, have other things grazed that already? Is there likely to be a high worm challenge? Is there likely to be a high coccidia challenge as we come back to that? So there's quite a bit to think about. Um, and I think also when they do go out, it's just to keep a really close eye on them for the first few weeks, just to make sure that they are settling. They have a good room and fills. They're not scouring. They seem to be growing uh, and you're not getting these signs of them going back. Um, to me, it'll be something actually worth, you know, the calf. We've always talked about the calf as the most important group, but certainly on those, you know, routine fertility visits and, the, you know, the vet coming out, that group of calves is well worth letting the, letting the vet see and discuss at regular intervals. I, I agree. And it's actually quite interesting that as well, because um, I know some farmers, what they do is is for certain classes of cattle, they, get, they, 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 they ask the vet to walk through them you know, every couple of weeks just to be a separate pair of eyes. And I think that's quite valid because if you're looking at the same animals every day, yes, you'll notice change but sometimes it's a very gradual change and and sometimes a, an external pair of eyes doesn't necessarily matter who that is but a vet's as good as any just to sort of go crikey they are either flying and doing really well or you know they look like they're not just quite coping as well so it's an external pair of eyes sometimes is really useful one of the other things is, is maybe not relevant right now as in today uh but one of the things that's worth thinking about uh and one of the things that we saw a lot of and heard a lot of about in the winter of last year was winter dysentery uh, in adult dairy cows uh, causing scour, uh, milk drop, uh, sometimes with temperatures, sometimes with a bit of body condition score loss, and and then it would resolve again over time. Um, And we had a lot of conversations about that with vets and farmers over the winter and we had quite a lot of samples in to look at, at causes. And um, there's one specific cause that's mentioned with it, which is actually coronavirus, not not COVID-related coronavirus, but bovine coronavirus. Um, and that's one particular cause. But it does come into a sort of wider syndrome of, um, is it a nutritional cause? Quite a lot of them will be. Um, is it a an infectious cause? Um, is it an opportunist bacterial infection that's sort of taking opportunity of um, an upset or a change in diet? Those sorts of things. Um, so it's worth bearing that in mind and, and just mentioning that with a view to, I suppose, later on in the year uh, when we get cows back inside and also particularly with a view to what silages we're making, what feeds we're buying, um, uh, silage 
season so far is looking pretty catchy. Um, too early to really call it in terms of how it's going to go over the whole summer. Uh, but obviously, feed is expensive, and therefore we're looking to try and get best value for money from feed as well. So it's looking like we're going to be setting up rations that are going to be quite challenging uh, this autumn and winter, both from a cost point of view and perhaps from a forage quality point of view as well. So we need to think about that and really in relation to what effect that might have on production, on on scour and whether this winter dysentery type syndrome will return in the housed period this autumn. So again, something to think about. And again, also perhaps something to think about with permanently housed dairy cows as well through the summer uh, that are going to be on a, a, a total mixed ration. So, Colin, routine stuff, obviously, eh, working away as normal. Is there anything I was hearing on the radio coming in this morning about monkeypox, eh, the new the new virus kicking about? And eh, is there any new emerging stuff? Obviously, I'm not asking about monkeypox, but is there any new and emerging diseases of interest coming in the vet labs at the moment? Um, well, thankfully, nothing that's absolutely topical right now uh, obviously one of the roles of the disease surveillance system and one of the roles of the vet labs uh, is to keep an eye out for new and emerging diseases uh, for changes in disease patterns uh, and for you know these unusual things that that turn up um, and you know for example probably one of the more recent ones has been Schmallenberg virus uh, we've seen that wax and wane over the years and we've seen more cases of that in sheep this spring in newborn lambs over the whole of the UK. Um, and, and there may be still some cases of that creeping in uh, into the cattle population. We sometimes see those later on into May and June. So we'll keep an eye out for that. Um, uh, I think the other, not new disease, but common diseases that change every year, just in terms of their presentation, and we need to keep a, a watching brief on it, are the parasite diseases because they're most subject to, to weather. And, and different summers and it's too early to call how that's going to go yet so although any of the worm or fluke or ectoparasite diseases are, are not new um, they they do fluctuate and every year is different um, and, and probably one of the biggies as far as, as again coming back to dairy young stock but also dairy cows will be longworm uh, in terms of how that varies year on year um, uh, for my money Vaccination is by far and away the best way to sort of sustainably manage and control lungworm um, in young stock populations and then building in immunity into adult cows. Um, but there is every year is different with regard to that disease. And uh, we'll just have to, again, see how it goes this year, but particularly keep a, a very close eye out for, for risk of, of coughing cows and respiratory disease, milk drops, etc. as we get further into the summer it's interesting looking at we've been talking about efficiency from a climate perspective for a long time but now financially you know there's never been a bigger need the thing you know the, the dairy market is in a fairly strong position but the commodity market's completely flying so feed is through the roof um all these areas you know a small lungworm burden holding an animal back now has a massive cost um, indeed I, yeah I anything we can do to try and limit the check that an animal gets because of a parasite we need we need to look at and i think your your vaccination policy this year would be the you know it's probably never been a better time to look at it more often than not the conclusion of this section of the podcast is speak to your vet but it's a genuine plea for people really is um 
you know, do speak to your practice vet, speak to our vet, speak to speak to even friends and colleagues, and and discuss these matters and and you know see what see what conclusions you can come to. Um, yeah, de- definitely team approach to all of this, and you know, trying to uh, be proactive rather than reactive in terms of uh, how, how things are, are likely to go as the as the summer pans out. Perfect. Colin, that's been brilliant. Thank you very much for your time. So I'm now joined by a former colleague of mine, David Keeley, who works as a senior dairy consultant for Kite Consulting. So hello to you, hello to you David. How's things going today? Good afternoon, Robert. Yeah, very well, thank you. Yeah, enjoying the warm weather. Your role, David, obviously, you're, you're quite close to the dairy market or, or certainly always watching where the dairy market's going. So brought you here today, really, to just give us a bit of an insight as to where where's the market at and where do you maybe see it going forward if we can use your crystal ball so um i think the the general tone i'm going to set at the minute is is positive um very positive for dairy farmers but what the things that i'm i'm going to say about um in terms of global demand i think are, are really good um i think there are one or two concerns and issues surrounding china uh, and the effect that's having on the gdt which was down again this week it, it is um it is something that we need to think about so really your raw milk production across the world for various reasons is, is, has come down so the new zealanders have got huge environmental constraints on what they're doing now um they've got uh, you know they're not going to see a lot more output from that country um with the current uh, the way things are currently set in new zealand and they're they're probably you know, they, they had a massive record price last year, um, but it didn't stimulate a lot more production. Um, really an exporter, um, and exporting the majority of their product um, into China. And China's obviously in the grip of COVID, um, and they've shut uh, had a shutdown, a closed down, um, and, and that's having a big economic effect on, on what's happening in New Zealand in terms of uh, price for their product, because that's their main market. Um, and it, it is a concern, and that's that's rattling the GDT. Um, so that is a, it is an issue potentially, um, and it has probably taken the shine off the global commodity prices, uh, which have rocketed in the past um, ten months. Um, have really rocketed and fueled this, um, stimulated this reset um, within the within the the milk uh, price. But obviously, obviously, we've seen costs go up and cost inflation on farmers. Is um, staggering, really. Um, you know, it's it is very, very high, um, and we're going into uh, potentially with the compounded with the issues that we're finding ourselves with, uh, faced with in Ukraine. You know, there were massive wheat producers, um, massive rapeseed producers, massive sunflower producers. Um, Russia was a big source of fertilizer for the EU and the UK, and and these um, avenues are all having. You know, it's a, it's um, a perfect storm, really. Um, so it, I suppose it's about making margin and focusing on managing the risks that we have um, and farmers thinking about that and also farmers having the confidence um, in their in their budgets and thinking about, you know, having done their budget um, where the figures are likely to be um, and having that confidence really to press on um, and, and focus on the future um, and what they can do. But yeah, it's a it's a very difficult situation um, we find ourselves in, uh, and I think yeah, it's it's although the prices have gone up, it's still about managing that margin, which is is key really to uh, to keeping going. Yeah, I think it's it's very interesting when you see how you know how much 
is now tied up in the job, how much you know capital's there, and also how much working capital is needed to run these businesses. You know, if things are going well, it's likely that we can produce you know quite a lot of money. But if, if things start going the wrong way, you know the risk is is much bigger than it used to be because that you know the the multiplier effect, I suppose, is now so great um, that you know there's a, a real yeah interesting times again. I think the keys to success, uh, um, just to comment on that, um, one of the things that we've seen this year is people that took, um, ordered the feed forward and looked at the market and took the opportunities. Um, that's been a, a definite bonus for them. Um, same with fertilizer. You know, if they've been able to see um, see themselves ordering that product forward um, and see opportunities within the within the futures market, depending on how their business is structured. I think that you know they they've mitigated risk all the time, um, and the cost price averaging. So they they may be not getting the bottom of the market um, always when they buy, but they're they're certainly not getting the top, um, and and they get a you know a better average price lower uh, for their input costs, a lower average price because they you know they take it a, a few opportunities. Um, one of the things I'd certainly look at just at the minute, um, focusing on fertilizer today uh, with clients and looking at um, the cost of urea. I think it got down to seven fifty this morning. Um, some of the prices that we were being quoted, so that's um, you know it's roughly six hundred pound equivalent for a thirty four percent product. Which, um, if you're a dairy farmer and the gas price is forecast to go up, um, and you need that fertilizer to grow your grass and your crops, it is very um, there's a bit of incentive there. So. Yeah, there are opportunities. Similarly, on the feed side, um, feeds have mellowed slightly today. Um, um, the grain, um, the wheat futures is down down a little bit this morning from where it was since we had the shock of India on Friday. Um, you know, these things, these little um, bits of news and information, um, similar to the Indonesia said when they weren't going to export any palm oil. Um, within a week, you know, they'd probably gone back on that statement, and and little bits of palm oil were coming out now under under license. Um, India maybe not a major exporter, but they've got significant issues with drought in their country, so there's going to be they won't have a, an exportable surplus. Um, but these uh, bits of news and information they really do affect commodity markets. Um, I think the one thing um, to our advantage at the minute is probably a lot of crop stores. With the price of grain are, are reasonably full, but at some point before harvest, you know farmers are going to have to sell out on their positions uh, and empty the store for the harvest that's coming in. So there's potentially uh, you know uh, um, little bits of um, uh, benefits to, to to thinking about that market and 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 watching um, what those what 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 opportunities are going to be um throughout the summer before harvest so yeah there's a few few windows there that we can start to think about and take advantage of sorry one of the common themes with a Colin and Lorna and you are saying basically is communication you know this that now if if not before now communication is so important and having a, a relationship with your vet we've had that conversation before but feed company fertilizer company all these guys, there's no silly questions at the moment, and there's a real need just to keep in touch with these people and keep asking questions and, and take advice, discuss things, and, and try and work out what you know when is the right the right time to jump into some of these big decisions. And we are working with big numbers, but as you say, David, if if urea is forecast to go up and we can get it at a good price, you know we're not we're not not going to need it next year. It's a really interesting time that you know we're 
because this is a truly global commodity crisis spike, whatever we'll call it, the consumer is going to have to bear the brunt of these costs. You know, that we can't get it cheaper elsewhere. We can't, or there are limited options as to where we can get it. There's reduced production, increased demand. The consumer is going to have to have to pay. And I think the farmer certainly is feeling the pain just now of inflation. And I think it feels to me like the consumer thinks they're feeling the pain at the moment, but there has to be a significant adjustment in, in food values going forward. That's correct. Um, that's correct. Uh, there is going to have to, be, and that was the first thing I heard heard this morning when I woke up um, about the cost of um, the cost of food going up and the impact that was having on 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 people. And you know, um, it was uh, it, it is the cost of living is a is a real issue. Um, but at the minute, you know, whether that cost is passed, it will have to be passed back to the consumer. Um, you know, via via the supermarkets, um, and and for so long, milk has been a lost leader. But the positive thing about milk, and it, it, there's a report uh, published by us this week on this, is that is the nutrient density of dairy is very very good when you compare it with other foods. Um, you know, for what you're getting, for what you're paying, it, it's it's a fantastic product. Um, you know, it, and it the massive it has huge massive health benefits. Um, so we we should be we should be trumpeting the the the, the the products that we produce because they're they're setting to none in terms of the health benefits, the nutrient density, and, and the costs relative to to other other products that are there. Um, I'm thinking specifically maybe about the alternative milks, or you can call them milks, um, alternatives that are you know on, on the dairy shelf. When you compare it to you know they're fortified with vitamins and minerals, where milk is you know it's it just naturally has them. It's in, inherent. Um, you know, so there's there's a very very good news story in terms of human health. Um, to be told about dairy, um, and and there's also a, in in terms of its nutrient density, is not economically, it's a very a very very good positive product that we should be encouraging people to consume. But it was notable during lockdown, um, farmers came back to uh, sorry, um, people ate cheese in huge amounts. You know they they started cooking again, um, and that's the reason now cheese stores are empty now uh, because far processors were selling cheese out of profile. Um, because the demand was so great, uh, and that demand's continued. So, um, you know, as a food, it's it's a very good nutrient dense food. So, yeah, we've got a, a lot of positive stories to tell about um, to tell about dairy. Yeah, and I think I would totally reiterate what you're saying. I think now is the time to shout it from the rooftops and really tell that consumer, you know, hit it home to a consumer who is concerned about food concern about costs you know just the true value of what they're what they're getting when they're eating eating locally produced or, or domestically produced dairy products you, you really can't put much better in, in your diet than what we're producing here david that's been excellent today i'm sure we could talk all day about where the job's going and a uh, the excitement opportunities and challenges in the horizon but that's been excellent and uh, certainly um hopefully the positive news continues uh, into the future for for all concerned thanks for joining us for this episode of stock talk if you've enjoyed listening please like and subscribe or follow our podcast leave us a review to let us know how we're doing and if you'd like to get in touch you can find all our contact details in the show notes below you may also enjoy some of our other shows such as cropcast our monthly panel show looking at crops and soils or thrill of the hill a show featuring guest speakers who live and work in the upland environment.
Join us again next month for our next episode of Stock Talk. The Farm Advisory Service Podcast. Audio advice on livestock, crops and soils, environment, rural business and more. Brought to you in association with the Scottish Government.